Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Grace Valley Church again on this beautiful Sunday morning. I want to welcome all of you to our worship service today, uh, and especially to our guests. Some of you might be uh, visiting us from afar because you're here to witness Kendra's baptism. We want to thank you for joining us. We are really, really glad you've decided to do that. And we hope and pray that, uh, that you will uh, just be caught up in the celebration of God's grace in her life as, as all of us uh, will be uh, this morning. And if you're new to uh, the Christian faith or if you are rediscovering the Christian faith after a, a period of time away from it, we're glad you found us. Uh, we do believe in our heart of hearts that the answer to life's deepest and most profound questions can be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And our prayer is that uh, you will encounter him in a fresh, meaningful, and real way as you worship with us uh, this morning. Just a few announcements uh, to share with you. First of all, I don't know if you can tell, but in case you can, uh, my eyes are all bloodshot and swollen, and I look terrible, like I've been on a week-long bender or something. Um, it turns out that I, I'm one of the very few people who have extra um, uh, side effects from getting the vaccine. So uh, I'm not the best poster boy for it, but I still, uh, I'm still glad I got it. Uh, and I feel much better than I look. And that's what really matters. So let's get that out of the way right off the bat. Second of all, I just want to remind you all if you want to know what's going on at Grace Valley Church, please, 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 please review the weekly update as it comes out each week. Kate puts a lot of time and effort into producing that thing. It's an excellent uh, email explanation of all the stuff that is happening and what you should be looking out for. I want to thank Kate for the hard work that she does in putting such a quality publication together each week. And I want to encourage you to really look at that um, and uh, stay uh, abreast of the things that are happening from week to week in Grace Valley. You'll also find prayer requests in there that you can, uh, you can put, to, put to prayer during the course of the week. And, and on that note, one of the, the things we want to do is we want to offer our condolences to our brother Jonathan Thiessen, whose uh, mother passed away last week. Um, I spoke with Jonathan, and of course he is grieving, and his family is grieving, but he takes great consolation in the hope of the gospel, the very thing that we're going to be uh, considering together this morning as we look at scripture from Revelation 21. And, and ironically, and this is how God works time and time again, uh, ironically, Revelation 21 was one of the passages, one of the, the last passages that Johnny's mom heard before she passed away. And uh, we're going to reflect on those words together this morning. Uh, one other thing uh, to request is that you, you do consider... Um, uh, uh, giving to the ministry of Grace Valley Church. We've been thankful to have uh, pretty faithful giving over the last year during the pandemic, and we're, we're, we are very grateful for that. Uh, but we are a little bit behind on where we, where we ought to be at this time of year, and so we're asking all of you to uh, consider how you can support the ministries of Grace Valley that do continue, as we're going to see um, uh, in Kendra's uh, testimony and, and her life through even just the... Uh, the informal relationships that are made between uh, people uh, through which God brings them to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and that's what we celebrate, and that's our mission at Grace Valley. So if you could help us participate in that, it would be wonderful uh, for, for, for you to do that. 
I believe that's all the announcements for this morning, so I'm going to ask all of us to join our hearts together in prayer as we prepare for worship. Please pray with me. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, what, a, what an incredible thing to put those two concepts together, that the Almighty God, the one who made everything, sustains everything, upholds everything by the power of your word, is also a father to his people, to his children. To be in your presence this morning is an honor and a privilege, Lord. And we pray that this morning as we worship you, that you would visit us in power and reveal to us afresh and anew your majesty and your mercy, your lordship and your love, your greatness and your grace. Enable our hearts to, to, to be open to receive your word. Enable our hearts to be open to sing your praises so that when this service ends, Father, we, we find that our strength is renewed uh, in such a way that we feel like, like we are being carried on the wings of eagles into our workaday lives. Not so that we can accomplish our goals and get the things that we want, but Father, so that we can serve you wholeheartedly and devotedly in whatever calling you send us to. Do this, we pray, in the strong name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Hear these words from Psalm 47. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to Him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on His holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Sing with us. Saved. Wow. 
Consider these words from James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then again in verse 12, James says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Just join me in prayer. Gracious and merciful Father, we draw near to your throne of grace 
to receive help in our time of need. Father, we confess that we often feel afraid and weak and inadequate and utterly incapable of overcoming the trials and temptations that lay before us. We fail to run to you for help because we listen to the voice of the accuser who wants us to believe that you expect us to overcome them alone so that when we, relying on our own strength, inevitably fail, we run from you and hide from you in our shame. Father, we forget the gospel so easily. You have overcome it all on our behalf, and now you are with us, inviting us to walk with you in your power, in your strength, in your mercy and goodness and faithfulness. Lord, you are so good to us. Help us to fix our eyes on you and to press your promises deep into our hearts. Help us to know that though we stumble and fall and let go of you, you never let go of us. If you are for us, who can stand against us? What can come between us? The blood of Christ testifies that nothing in all the world can separate us from your love. This is the hope that we cling to. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. And hear now these words from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This next song that we're going to play uh, is one that uh, might not be familiar to many of you, uh, but it's a song that I understand has been very meaningful to Kendra, and so we'd like to play it. And uh, we invite you to uh, even just to meditate and listen, focus on the lyrics um, which point us to uh, the reality that God's love is often discovered in the darkest places in life, uh, in the midst of the deepest trials. Um, and it's a truth that I think many people have learned through hard experiences. Um, yeah, so just please listen, follow along.
brings us to baptism time.
Well, I'm a wreck. Uh, and anyone who knows Kendra and knows anything of her story is a wreck. Um, we all have scars. Um, but some of us in God's providence uh, have much bigger scars than others of us. And they're the result of much deeper wounds. Um, and for Kendra to be able to declare that she is thankful for her scars, I'm just, uh, I'm just so humbled by that. Someone who, by her own admission, has felt as she's been part of our community for the last two plus years or so, has felt like she, you know, didn't know much and didn't understand things as well as other people and felt sort of like a, like an immature Christian, if she was a Christian at all, in comparison to so many other people, just the, that statement alone I am thankful for the scars is is an unbelievable testimony to how far you have come, Kendra, in such a short period of time. You know, at the beginning of the service, before the service, Mike said, you know, don't tell anything anybody about your eyes, just get really emotional, and then you can say it's because you were crying, and I was like, yeah, well, I don't know if that's going to happen, and I should have listened to him. That's my problem. I don't listen to people enough. Kendra's going to be baptized today. What a privilege and what a what a honor it is for us to be able to experience that with her. You know, the sacraments are these beautiful gifts of God that show his accommodation to us. He knows that we're weak creatures. He knows that we're 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 always struggling to believe the gospel believe these promises that are are given to us in the gospel every time we hear it uh we get we get another shot of it but but for us to actually hold on to it is very difficult at times and so so god in his grace he he says you know what i'm going to give you visible signs and seals of this gospel for you to witness for you to be able to touch and taste the promises of god and he gives us two of them he gives us baptism he gives us the lord's supper this morning we get to see baptism uh, dramatize the gospel for us as God sets apart Kendra as his daughter, as God, through the waters of baptism, uh, symbolizes her dying to sin and rising to new life in Jesus Christ, as baptism symbolizes the washing of regeneration the washing away of her sins, that God has removed her sins from her as far as the east is from the west. And if you've never thought about it, consider the fact that the east and the west, they never touch. It's an infinite distance. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus, and that's what baptism symbolizes. And it seals that to us as well. Because you see, you know, the Holy Spirit, through baptism... And our experience of baptism, he, he, he seals that covenant of grace with us. 
And that's so important because you see, it, 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 it shows us, it demonstrates that baptism is not about what we have done. Baptism is not about, about declaring our faith in God. That's what the testimony is about. And that's what we're going to hear in a few minutes. And it's not about what the minister is doing. It's not about me either. This is about God promising to deliver us from sin through the work of Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in him, those promises are absolutely certain. And Kendra's going to undergo the waters of baptism in a moment. And in that, she is, she is going to experience fully and bodily God's sealing his promise of redemption to her. And she is going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she is in his hands and that nothing, nothing can separate her from him. But before Kendra undergoes the waters of baptism, Kendra is going to share with us her story. And so I want to invite Kendra up forward. We're going to pray for her, and then we're going to hear from her. Come on up, Kendra. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Kendra. And we thank you for the trophy of grace that she is. Heavenly Father, she is nervous. The vast majority of people are when they have to speak in public, and so that's totally normal. But I pray, Father, that your special peace would rest heavily upon her now as she shares with us your work of indestructible grace in her life. And may she revel in that opportunity to testify, to proclaim to the world what you have done for her. And may we all be blessed by it. For your glory we pray. Amen. morning. Um, my name is Kendra. Um, I was not brought up in a Christian home. I have two older sisters and my childhood was good. I could tell you all kinds of horrible things that I have done to myself and others over the last 35 years, but that's not what this, that's not what's really important. What is important, even though I didn't know it or see it then, was that God had his hands on me all throughout those years. I have had brief encounters with trying to find God on and off over the last 35 years, but I wasn't ready to listen, nor did I even want to. I have been in and out of jail since 2009, but in 2017, I got sentenced to four and a half years. At this point, I was tired. I had been treatment three times, and my way wasn't working. So when I got to Grand Valley Institution for Women, I started going to church, to Alpha and to celebrate recovery. I was curious about God and I started asking questions. In October of 2018, I was released on day parole to Ellen Osler here in Dundas. I came to Grace Valley with one of the girls from the house. She took me with her to Alpha and to Grief Share as well. 
but I didn't feel like I fit in because if any of you knew my past years, yous wouldn't like me and yous would be horrified, but I wanted what yous had. I thought I had found God. He was doing good things in my life. I was reconnecting with two of my four boys for the first time in seven years. My oldest sister and my relationship was better than it had ever been. I had a job, I had met amazing people, and I had my own apartment, but I still felt like I was missing something. I started using drugs again and got breached and got sent back to GVI in January of 2020. When I was re-released in November of 2020, I confessed a lot of things that I should have confessed right from the beginning, but that wasn't part of God's plan for me. Over the Christmas holidays, I did some things that I shouldn't have done, and I got breached again and sent back to jail once again. While there, I spoke to Pastor Paul and agreed to go to Teen Challenge Treatment Center. It just felt right to me. When released in March of 2021, things were better for me, but I still felt like something was missing. I wasn't being completely honest with God, myself, or others. I had been abusing my prescription drugs and I told myself that that was okay because they were prescribed to me. So crazy. I had been abusing them for years and hadn't gotten sick, but on March 18th, I got so sick, I finally surrendered to God. I confessed to Kathy Feenster and as soon as I did, I started to feel better. I felt God's presence I felt his arms around me, and I felt a sense of peace that I have never felt before. God knew all my secrets and sins, but until I had surrendered and confessed them to him, I would never be free. I finally feel forgiven and free from my sins. I feel loved. I don't feel dirty or feel that anyone, especially God, looks at me differently. Since that day, I have been accepted into Teen Challenge Treatment Center, and I leave to go there tomorrow. I've had amazing texting conversations with my youngest son, who was encouraging me to go to treatment. I said to him, a year is a long time, though, but if it means I can be there for the people that I love and then they can depend on me to be there for them and need me, then what's a year? And he said to me, exactly. A year may seem long, but I haven't had a mother for how many years? I think I can wait a year if it means I can actually have a mother and not just another person in my life who comes and, and goes as they please. I wouldn't have had this kind of conversation with my boy if it wasn't for God in my life today. All the crap I went through, I had to go through to get where I am today. I know this now. I always thought that I was being punished, but I wasn't. My journey is just beginning, and I know every day isn't going to be easy, but I know that God will carry me when I can't carry myself. He will never leave me alone. He loves me, and I have so many people praying for me who love me and want to help me. I am so blessed and truly grateful to all of you for never giving up on me. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly God I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2 verse 20. The best way that I can describe who Jesus is to me and what he means to me now is that today I live as before I was just existing. He has given me hope, strength, 
and my life today. Without him, I was lost and empty. Now I am found and full. I've never belonged to a church before. So I am really excited to be able to say that I'm a member of Grace Valley Church. I look forward to helping out in church and in the community as a member of Grace Valley. So now you just stay right there, okay? Nope, up one. There you go. Keep your mask on. I'm going to try doing this with my mask. Nope. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing those, those words with us, Kendra, Kendra and, and that beautiful quote from Galatians chapter 20, it is no longer, or chapter 2, sorry, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That is a beautiful testimony for, uh, about who you are now, and for you to share so openly and honestly with us is something we, we feel honored and privileged to have heard and to be a part of. And we, we know that the next year is going to have its challenges, but it's going to have its unbelievable surprise blessings too. And, you know, your son is absolutely right. To, to invest a year for a lifetime of relationship is a no-brainer in the end. And we will certainly be journeying with you through that year and praying for you and writing to you and we're allowed to and visiting you and we're allowed to. And, and we know that God is just like you said, is, is just beginning his work in you. But man, oh man, what a start, hey? What a start. <laughs> Kendra, I'm going to ask you these questions. And after each question, if you can, with honesty and integrity, say, I do, please Use the words I do in your answer. Kendra, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, except in his sovereign mercy? Do you? I do. Kendra, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Do you? I do. Kendra, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the follower of Christ? Do you? I do. And Kendra, do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Do you? I do. And finally, Kendra, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace, do you? I do. And Kendra, it's time for you to be baptized. You're going to need something for this. <laughs> You're going to want to put this away, far away, and that. 
You're going to need this, I think, Kendra. So if you don't mind kneeling right here. Did you bring another mask? Yeah. You're going to want to wrap yourself up real good, okay? You're going to soak me? You're going to get pretty wet. You know, through baptism in these waters, all you kids that are watching, when you see this water poured out on Kendra, I want you to think about Jesus. Because these waters symbolize Jesus pouring out his blood, spilling it for our sin so that we could be clean. So that as Kendra said in her testimony, we no longer feel dirty. We no longer feel like we don't measure up. We no longer feel like we are undeserving or uh, that we need to earn our salvation and our status with God. We are secure in our relationship with him by what he's done for us. Kendra, for you, Jesus came into this world and he lived among us and he showed us God's love. And for you, he suffered the darkness of Calvary and he cried at the last, it is finished. And for you, he rose to newness of life never to die again, and he ascended to his Father's right hand where he now reigns and rules over the universe. And all of this he did for you, Kendra, before you knew anything of it. And thus the words of Scripture are fulfilled. We love because he first loved us. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know if you want to go back or forward. We'll see. Kendra and Anne Napier, I baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's not many of us here, but we can clap. Kendra, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Kendra, before you leave, I welcome you to full covenant membership in Grace Valley Church. I welcome you to all of its privileges and all of its responsibilities. I welcome you to all of its joys and all of its sorrows. And we look forward to growing in faith with you 
as we all together seek out the day, the great day, the last day, the day that really matters, the day when all who confess Jesus as Savior will stand shoulder to shoulder, dressed in the robes of his righteousness, and we will celebrate together the glory of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And you will be there, and you will be there, and you will be there, and I will be there, and Kendra... I look forward to being there with you too. Hallelujah. Amen. What are we doing now, Mark? We're going to sing. to 
Father, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah, that it is not through us, but through Christ in us that we will reach the day when we stand before you in glory. Father, that is our hope. That is our everything. And this morning, Father, we celebrate with Kendra as she has come to know that hope deep within her soul, deep within her bones, deep within the very root of who she is. She has come to know the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray for her, Father. We pray that as you take her uh, to Teen Challenge, a wonderful, wonderful ministry uh, for the next year, that she will simply deepen her knowledge of and belief in Jesus and the hope of the gospel and that you will continue to do the work of transformation that you have begun so dramatically in her life. Father, may she know that we go with her in spirit, that we go with her in prayer, that we go with her in covenant. She has a family now that is literally billions of people large. And certainly this little part of that family, Grace Valley Church, is her, her, her closest siblings, her brothers and sisters in Christ. And we uphold her and love her 
and will continue to do so over the course of the next year. Father, we, we pray that the hope uh, of being reunited with one another and with Jesus at the last day will be a powerful comfort to those who find that they are uh, mourning the loss of loved ones. We pray, Father, for Johnny as he mourns the passing of his mother. May he know that for all Christians, it is never goodbye, but simply till we meet again. And may he hold on to that hope and know, Father, that one day he will stand in glory and he will see his mother there as well. And we pray that that hope also is fixed deep in the heart of those who find themselves nearing the end of their earthly journey. Father, we pray for my friend Dave, who is passing away, who is in palliative care and uh, who looks like his days on this earth are, are, are certainly shortened. And he is a father of young children men, and uh, he is married. And there are those who walk this journey with him. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would comfort all of them with the hope of the gospel. Father, death is still a reality for us in this world, but it is a defeated enemy. And we pray that that will encourage his heart and the hearts of those around him. And we pray that also for, for John, uh, nephew to uh, Frank and Suzanne, as he has been given a, a terminal uh, prognosis. And he also is a father to young children and a husband to a wife. And encourage his heart with this gospel too. Father, we know that you can do miracles and we do pray that you will work a miracle in both these men's lives. But more than that, we do pray that as they anticipate meeting you in glory, that they would know a peace in their hearts as they prepare for that. And Father, we pray for our dear sister Myrnie who has ongoing debilitating health issues that can suck the joy out of your lives. We pray, Lord, that that would not be the case for her, but rather, Lord, that that even as she suffers, she would be able to, to say that she is thank you, thankful for the scars that she carries because they have drawn her into deeper fellowship with you and she knows a peace from you that is beyond understanding. Comfort her and may she continue to be a, an inspiration to many of us in her struggle. Lord, we pray that... that that you would give us more stories like Kendra's of those who, who have not known you but come to know you. We want stories of conversion, Father. We want stories of your work of, of powerful, transforming grace in the lives of people that we know. They could be family members. They could be neighbors. They could be co-workers. They could be schoolmates. They could be our husband or our wife. Father, to see you do turn sorrow into joy as people have the scales come off their eyes and realize that yes they are a sinner but they are a sinner who has been rescued that is our deepest longing father in this city in this country in this world and we pray father that that you would reap that harvest through us may we have the honor of being part of that lord as we now open your word Make us attentive to it. Speak to it. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus we pray, amen.
Our scripture reading for today comes from Revelation 21, verses 1 to 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. There will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Hope, for reading the scripture passage for us uh, this morning. Uh, we have been making our way for the last eight months now through a series based around the Jesus Storybook Bible, a terrific children's Bible that, uh, that I encourage you, if you don't have it, get it, read it to your kids, read it for yourself, and learn uh, the grand story of God's love for his people. And uh, we've been making our way, like I said, over the last eight months, and we are now at the end of the story. We're at the last story, the end of the story. And uh, I thought I'd start this way. Um, I have a friend who, when she gets a book, when she purchases a new book, she uh, always reads the end of the book first. Uh, even actually before she purchases a book. Back in the day, you know, when you could go to chapters and you could mill around and, and look at the books in the stack, she would go and she would hear about a book that she really thought might be interesting and thought might be worth her time. And she would uh, open the book and she would read like the last couple of chapters to decide whether or not she actually wanted to read the book. So how it ended had a lot of effect on whether or not she wanted to read the book at all. And I asked her about this, why she did that. And she says, well, of course, I, I, I want a happy ending. But she also said that it, knowing the ending helped her enjoy the book more because then she, she had her eyes open for different plot twists and, and different surprises and that kind of thing along the course of reading the book uh, as a whole. Now, the book of Revelation from which Hope read our passage this morning, is that kind of, th is, is, is the end of the book. It's the end of the story. And it's actually about the end of history. It's not so much about the details, about exactly what's going to happen at the end of history, but rather about the goal, about the telos, about the purpose uh, of history, where it's actually going. And it was written, of course, to encourage the early church. The book of Revelation was written around 90 AD or so. It's, it's the, the latest book uh, written in the Bible. And the church at that time was really, really struggling because uh, the center of their faith had been the city of Jerusalem, and the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Romans, and so it lay in ruins around them. And they were now living under Domitian, who was an emperor that absolutely hated the church and had, uh, had, uh, had promised that he was going to stamp out this new religion. And so persecution was just very widespread all over the place. 
And these Christians of the early church, they were facing incredible pressure. They were uh, embracing pressure to conform to the religious practices of the day uh, uh, with the religions around them. And they were also being pressured to sort of begin uh, to assimilate into the Roman culture around them. And they were getting hammered for their resistance. The more they tried to resist that, the more they tried to say, no, we don't believe the emperor is a god. We serve one god, the true god, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified and raised. The more they said that, the more they said they were not going to join the the Roman guilds that were uh, quasi-religious and involved all kinds of pagan sacrifice and other pagan rituals. The more they did that kind of thing, the more they were uh, not just pressured or persecuted by the... uh, by the official governmental uh, uh, systems, but they were persecuted by their own neighbors and friends. And so they were beginning to wonder, like, what's the end game here? We are Christians. We do confess that Jesus died and rose and that he ascended to heaven, but we don't know where this faith is going. We don't know where history is going, and we're, we're starting to wonder whether we can hold on in the midst of all this hardship and struggle and persecution because we, we're struggling to find hope. And non-Christians around were arguing that these people should give up their faith because it's obviously not very practical. It doesn't do much for them. Uh, They find themselves in uh, dire straits as a result of it. So why bother? In other words, everyone was, was looking at the Christian faith and saying it needed hope. It needed hope. And the Apostle John... He writes this apocalypse. He writes this vision about the end of history, about the end times, in order to give the people hope. Because here's the principle that John reveals to us, and it's this. How you handle your present circumstances will be determined by your belief about your future. Let me say that again. How you handle your present circumstances will be determined by your belief about the future. You see, hope is a a future-oriented prospect. And what John lays out here is, is, is a future that is so great and it is so good and it is so glorious and it is so beyond our wildest dreams that it makes it possible, if you believe in this future, it makes it possible for you to face the hardships and difficulties and struggles of the present day without being overwhelmed by them. Let me explain how this works just with a quick example. Here you have two guys, two people, can be men, can be women, doesn't really matter. Two people who get a job, let's say, in a factory, and the job that they've been given is very, very boring and very, very mundane and very, very dull. And they're told that they're going to have to do this job 12 hours a day, six days a week, and when they get there, they realize that all their co-workers are kind of goofballs and not very interesting, etc. And so it's a real grind to go into work each day. Now, person one is told that at the end of a year of working on the line at this factory, putting a widget in a wadget or something, that they will get $15,000. And person two is told that at the end of a year of putting the widget in the wadget, they will get $15 million. 
And so they go to work. And after three weeks, person one says, that's it, I can't hack it anymore. This is not worth it. This job is terrible. I am losing my mind. I am completely out of here. And person two shows up at work every day with a smile on the face and a spring in their step and a whistle on their, on their lips. Why? Because of the reward, right? Because of their future hope. Because of what they know is coming at the other end. Look, here we are, a year into this pandemic, and what are we hearing? ICUs in Ontario have now reached critical capacity and are overwhelmed. We've heard about um, variants of concern that are more transmissible and seem to be harder on people. We've heard rumors that even though school is out now and numbers are slightly beginning to drop, school may not return at the end of, of this term. And so it feels like after a year of this pandemic, we're, we're in no better a place than we were when it started. Maybe some of us actually think things have gotten worse. Or think about kind of your individual life. You know, people are struggling, people are, are, are feeling because of the weight of being uh, in the midst of this pandemic and, and, and the pressures that they're experiencing at home or in their business or in their job or whatever, they're, they're feeling like they are at the end of their rope. Continually, you see on the news stories about increased depression rates and, and uh, people suffering. In fact, it doesn't even have to be that bad. I read a, a very interesting article this week that somebody sent me from the New York Times, and I discovered that it's actually been floating around all over the place, where uh, the author actually uh, uh, kind of gives language to what many, many people are feeling. And the author says that what we're experiencing right now is what he calls languishing. You're not really depressed, but you're not really flourishing either. You're just sort of, as my wife said, as a meme going around on Facebook, uh, you're just sort of meh. You have no ambition, nothing excites you anymore, nothing gets you, gets you revved up and, and gets you going. You're just kind of like feeling almost numb, as if you, eh, whatever, meh, I don't care. And of course, there are people, as we said in our prayer, there are people who are, who are dying, who are in palliative care. We prayed for, uh, prayed for a man named Dave, a man named John. We've been praying regularly for a little boy named Mo. And then there's trials and assignments. We've, we've talked a little bit about Kendra. She's facing a big assignment this year. She leaves tomorrow for a year-long stint, Lord willing, at Teen Challenge. How do you endure that? How do you face these monumental tasks and these monumental assignments with strength and with, with hope and with uh, confidence? Look at verse 4. In verse 4, it said, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Does that describe you right now, that you feel like you are living under the shadow of death, that there is mourning and there is crying and there is pain in your life? If that's not you now, don't worry. It will be you someday because none of us escapes this experience. You need hope. We all do. Kendra does. Those folks who are in hospice care do. 
Those of you whose businesses or employment has completely dried up and your prospects for the future have dried up, you do. In fact, we all do. And we get it right here. John's beautiful picture of hope in this glorious, well-known, at least to Christians, well-known passage about the future. Let's, let's look at four things very quickly for, uh, together. First of all, let's look at how Christian hope in this passage is a future hope. Christian hope is a future hope. In verse 4, Jesus says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will, be no more de- there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death. Christian hope is a future hope, a hope in a certain future. You see, this passage is telling us that there is a time coming in the future when when our experience of pain, our experience of suffering, and our experience of sorrow will end because history is necessarily going towards that place. In other words, history, according to this passage, is linear, meaning it, has, it goes across a line. It, go, it has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an ending, and it has a purpose to it. There are many, many views in our world about uh, what history is like. Some say that history is, is cyclical, that time just kind of um, has no beginning and it has no end, and, and even if it does come to an end, it just starts over again and again. That's sort of the Eastern view of history. There's a Western view of history that is, that, is, uh, that is non-religious that says time is really sort of about the evolution of things. In other words, things are, are, are developing and progressing, but they're either developing in a good way or progressing in a bad way. You can be very optimistic about it. You can be very pessimistic about it. It depends on, on who you are and your constitution, I guess, and maybe depends on the time in which you lived. So in the late 1800s, people believed that, that the world and history was getting better. And then we had two world wars, and we had the Spanish flu pandemic, and we had the collapse of the stock market, and by the 1940s, everybody was saying that that the world was getting worse, and that history was falling apart. That's another view. Of course, there's also the view that that is deterministic. It says that, you know, the, the question of where history is going is somewhat irrelevant because everything is determined. The universe is just a big machine and you and I are just cogs in the wheel and everything that will happen will happen and there's nothing you can do about it. And then there's this Christian view of history that history has a purposeful conclusion towards which we are marching right now. History is not chaotic. Your life is not chaotic. The world is not ultimately chaotic. I know it looks like absolute chaos from our perspective right now. But here we are. If you think of, of the picture of, of, of history as being this, this thousands of thousands, even I don't care, you can say billions of years long uh, um, line, you and I, we are a pinprick in that line. And it looks like chaos right now, but that does not mean it is chaos. Because the biblical view of history is that we are not stuck in an in a endless, meaningless cycle of reboots. We're not in a machine where you and I are just sort of 
cogs in the wheels of things as they turn, as, as though you look like a, look at a watch and, and you're one of the little sprockets in there and there's a whole bunch of other little sprockets in there and they just turn and that's all they do. No, 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 we're part of a story written by God. And that story's ending is simply this. And they all lived happily ever after. That's the end of the story. For those who love Jesus Christ, who have put their trust in him, who have submitted their lives to him, the promise is that no matter what you're going through now, no matter what your experiences are, no matter how hard the trial is, the end of the story is secure. They all lived happily ever after. It's a future hope. Now, how can we know that that's the future hope? I mean... People say, well, isn't that just nice? They all lived happily ever after. But have you ever thought to yourself that maybe the reason that theme is such a consistent, prominent theme in the history of the world's uh, uh, literature, not just Christian literature, but all kinds of the world's literature, is because that's a longing that sits deep in every human heart? It's something we all want. Even if you think, oh, it's by and by, pie in the sky. Oh, isn't that nice that you Christians with your Pollyanna hope of the future, that, that you long for that. Come on, be honest with yourself. Deep down, you long for that too. You want it too. You're just skeptical that it's possible. How in the world can it be possible? You want to believe it. How can you believe it? Because Christian hope is a hope in the king. You know, in verse 5, it says this. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Who is this, this one who is seated on the throne? Well, you actually have to go back in the book of Revelation to discover who that is. And if you go back to Revelation chapter 5, you get another story there, another vision of the uh, Apostle John's. And John is looking in the throne room of heaven and he sees that God is seated on his throne and God has this scroll. And this scroll represents the unfolding of history. And at the end of that scroll is the happily ever after. The problem is, is that there is no one there who can open this scroll. There's no one who has the power, who has the authority to determine the end of the story. And so John is weeping uncontrollably because he imagines a, a, a history that is not going to end up happily ever after. But then, then, someone comes to him and says, look, this is verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll in its seven seals. And so John has hope. And he says, Ah, there's someone who can open the scroll. There's someone who can determine the end of history. There's someone who can guarantee that it is happily ever after. And it's the lion. Of course it's the lion. The lion of Judah. The king of the jungle. The ultimate symbol of power and pride and strength. And so he looks, and he looks at the throne, looking for this lion of Judah, and it says, then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. John is utterly shocked. 
He looks for this throne, seeking this lion of symbol of strength. And what he sees is the, is the symbol, the, the universal symbol of weakness, a little lamb. But this is a little lamb that's not pure white. This is a little lamb that's got bloodstains on, on it. It looks like it's been slain. It's looked like it's had its throat cut. And yet it's alive. What's going on here? And the answer, of course, is that this lamb is Jesus. The answer is that this lamb is Jesus, this Jesus, this this lamb that's been slain. He is worthy to open the seals. Why? The elders tell us in verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Why is the lamb worthy? Because he died for our sin. Because he purchased us and he made us his. He united us to him. When, when, when Kendra was baptized, she was united to her Savior Jesus so that whatever happens to him happens to her. And that Jesus didn't just die. He rose never to die again. And he is now a king sitting on a throne. He is reigning over all things. And he has promised that one day we will reign with him. You notice in verse 6 of our passage, it says so poetically, it is done. It is done. It's not a question of will it be done. It has been done. Why? Because I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the beginning. And I am the end. In other words... There is no one beside Jesus who who can determine the end of history. There is no one that could change the course of history. There is no one that can be a rival to him. There is no one who can be a competitor to him. There is no challenger. There is no competition for the throne of God. There is no supplanter. There is no potential coup that could happen. No, 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 no. The end is absolutely secure because Jesus is the almighty one who sits on the throne and will not ever be replaced that's why we know this future hope is secure because of him but it's not just a future hope it's interesting the wonderful thing about Christian hope is it's not just future hope it's not just that we sit here and suffer and hold on and kind of huddle in the corner and try to stiff up our lip, make it through. No, this hope is a present hope too because, you know, in verse 5, it says so interestingly, do you notice this? He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. He goes from... I will wipe away all the tears. I will take away pain and crying and all that kind of stuff. But I am right now making everything new. What's going on? Because the gospel is not just about the end, guys. As we saw this morning, it is about now. God will make everything new at the end of history. But he's already begun that work right now, right here, through the king who sits on the throne. Listen, whenever someone comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ, they experience that healing already. That's a fact. 
Whenever someone brings themselves under Christ's lordship, when they say, I am a sinner and you are my savior, I give myself to you, they experience healing. Whenever you give your heart to him, whenever you give your hopes to him, whenever you give your dreams to him, whenever you give your fears and anxieties and and worries to him, you give him your relationships, you give him your family. When you're a parent or whether you're a sibling or whatever, you give that to him. He begins now to make things new. You get healing now. Listen to... So Kendra shared with me her testimony before she presented it. And so I looked at it again in preparation for this morning. And you know, her story, as, as, as you heard, you know, it's, it's a remarkable story. For a long time, she wanted God. She did. But the problem was, is she didn't quite want to give herself entirely to God. You know, she, she, wanted, she wanted to put her toe in the water, and that's fine, put her toe in the water. But if, she, if she's going to really experience God, she's got to actually dive all the way in, and she wasn't quite ready to do that. And then... As you heard, something happened to her, and she finally said, enough. I'm done, like the Apostle Paul said, I'm done kicking against the pricks, kicking against the goads. And she sent, surrendered herself completely to him and said, I got nothing left. It's all yours. And listen to what she said. She said, I felt God's presence. This is right from her own testimony. I felt his arms around me and I felt a sense of peace that I have never felt before. I finally feel forgiven and free from my sins. I feel loved. I don't feel dirty or feel that anyone, especially God, looks at me differently. You see, this Christian hope is not a pie-in-the-sky hope that's for Sunday. It's a hope that you experience in the here and in the now when you open yourselves up and finally admit that you are a desperate sinner in need of salvation. God floods you with his love and grants you a peace you'll never experience anywhere else. Just ask Kendra. It's a present hope, but it's a future hope. It's an always hope, you know, if you think about it, because we're not foolish enough as Christians to put all our hope in the present, you know. We don't pull all our hope in vaccines and in politicians and in economic recovery stimulus plans, but we work toward the renewal of all things, But we also don't become cynics and fatalists and say, "Eh, you know, there's nothing you can do, nothing you can do, nothing you can do. World's going to hell in a handbasket, nothing you can do. No, we invest in people. We invest in eternity. Because when a sinner repents and puts their trust in Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity in heaven. What kind of investments are you making, friends? Are you investing in things that will be here for a while? You're working really hard on getting that cottage put together for the season? Are you working really hard on getting your portfolio, your retirement portfolio put away so that you can relax when you hit your 60s or 70s or 80s and take it a little bit easy? All that stuff, as good as it is, and I'm saying go ahead, Enjoy it, but don't, please, don't make that the center of your investment. It will be gone. 
people. Souls. They'll be there forever. You know, there are many people who have invested in Kendra. By God's grace, this is all God's work. Absolutely, it is all God's work. And there are many people that God has used. But some of those people are here this morning. They have invested very deeply in Kendra and are committed to investing in her going forward. And do you realize that in the Starbucks of the new creation, they're going to be able to sit outside in the sun and reminisce for billions of years on the wonderful work that God has done in her heart. Our retirement portfolios will be gone. Those cottages will be gone. People will be around forever. Last thing, shortest point, promise. Christian hope is free, but costly. How do we get this hope? How do you receive this hope? Oh, verse 6 is so fascinating, isn't it? To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To the thirsty, I will give without cost from the spring of water of life. It doesn't say, it doesn't say to the moral, I will give this water. It doesn't say, you know, to the good or, or to the just or to the honest. It just says the thirsty. Do you thirst do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you long to have your sins forgiven? Do you want to be free from guilt and sin and the fear of death? Do you want that? Do you, are you sick of trying to do it on your own? Do you long to be at rest and at peace? That's all you need. Because Jesus on the cross thirsted too. But when he said, I thirst... He was plunged into the pit of hell and did not have that cosmic spiritual thirst quenched, but rather he drank the cup of God's wrath right down to the dregs so that at one point he could finally say, it is finished. Now here's the thing. When you let the beauty of that Christ's substitutionary death in your place, when you let the beauty of that rest upon you, and remember that, that Jesus, or that the Father accepts you for Jesus' sake, that hope begins to flood your life and prepares you for anything. I'll, quote, I'll end with a quote from Fyodor Dostoevsky famous Russian author, wrote a number of very remarkable books. My favorite is The Brothers Karamazov. And the character Aloysius, I don't know how to say his name, Aloysius, he's a monk, Christian, and he's arguing with his atheist brother at one point. And his brother said, you look at all the suffering and evil and terror in the world and how can you be a Christian? How can you believe in all that God stuff? And this is what he says. He says, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish 
like a pitiful mirage, like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man, that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts for the comforting of all resentments, of the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood that they have shed, and it will make not only possible to forgive, but to justify what has happened. That's Christian hope. That's why someone like Kendra can say, God, I thank you for my scars. I have suffered. I have felt the weight of sin. I have lived with the pain and the consequences of the things that I have done. But I thank you for those experiences because all they have done is opened up for me the beauty of your grace in my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope of a future in your presence where our thirst for the end of suffering will finally and completely be quenched. May that hope encourage and strengthen all of our hearts as we continue to journey toward that celestial city, as it says in Pilgrim's Progress, our eternal home, the city of God. In Jesus' name, amen. We're not doing communion during this time, of course, and so that means that we are going to close our service now with our final song.
What a fitting ending to a beautiful service. Thank you so much, worship team, for at least for those of us who are in this room, uh, taking us right into the throne room. are going to make so much fun of me when I get home. But listen, there is no joy like this joy. Nowhere. No drug can do it. No philosophy can offer it. All you got to do is thirst and it's yours. All you got to do is be thirsty and it's yours. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Okay. Lift your hearts to God. Receive his parting blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each of you, all of you, now, throughout this week, in the year to come, my dear Kendra and forever. Amen. Have a wonderful day.